I want to take just a minute as we begin our, this portion of our worship service uh, to pray for the situation in the Middle East. I'm sure it's on all of our minds and hearts. Please join me as we pray together. Our God and Father, we come to you, Lord, in such a time, I believe, with men and women uh, across not only this state, this country, uh, the world, the body of Christ in particular, uh, Lord, coming to you and asking God for your help in this situation uh, that took us all by surprise, not you, but us, uh, just a little more than a week ago. So our prayer, Lord, is this. First, I pray for, Lord, all of those people, men and women, moms and dads, um, who lost a loved one uh, last weekend in this uh, horrible event, this act of terror and, um, uh, Lord, just uh, surprise. We pray for them that you would be uh, an ever-present help in time of grief. And we pray for your your healing, Lord, that would be uh, present. I pray the body of Christ would be activated, uh, Lord, and out of evil might come good. Second, Lord, we pray for a protection for um, all innocent life on both sides of this conflict as it continues even this day. And Lord, we pray also for justice for those um, uh, who committed these crimes. And we pray, Lord, for your healing, your grace, your peace. And Lord, we pray for an end to this conflict. So Lord, we come humbly. We ask for your, your grace, your peace, your help. And we, we need you uh, the city uh, uh, and states uh, uh, and, and Israel need you. We just pray, Lord, for all involved in this and that you would be present. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are back in Acts. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, this is week number five in our series in the book of Acts. And we're in chapter four today. So you have a copy of the Bible. You can open up to Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four. Now, if you've been here the last three weeks, uh, four weeks, I should say, we have been looking at the early church. And we spent a a couple weeks in chapter uh, uh, one. uh, But in chapter two, I should say, where we spent three weeks, we see the church is born in a manner of speaking. One of the most eventful moments in the life and history of the church recorded in the book of Acts is Acts chapter 2. The descent of the Holy Spirit, which if you remember, was not something that just happened in the moment. It wasn't just sort of planned in the, in the early days, pages of the New Testament. It was something that had its roots all the way back in God's dealing in the people of Israel back as far as Genesis 12, certainly back in the prophets when they talked about the new covenant, they talked about the descent of the spirit, they talked about new creation in Christ. All of this was promised and it came to life in the descent of the Holy Spirit, not just on one person, not just on two, but the spirit came down in dramatic fashion and the church of Jesus Christ was born. 
And we saw when you look in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, even when John talked last week about the man that was healed, not only is the church beginning to grow, not only are many, many people, thousands of people coming to know Christ, thousands of people now have the Spirit of God in them, so it's this brand new reality in Acts chapter 2. But then, last Sunday, if you were here, the apostles, in this case Peter and John, they begin to do what Jesus did. It's kind of amazing when you think about it. They didn't just give sermons like I'm giving this morning. They actually healed people. They actually, Peter eventually raises somebody from the dead later on in this book. Think of how amazing that is. But Peter and John begin to live like Jesus, as Jesus had said in the great um, upper room discourses, John 14, 15, 16. He said to them, I'm sure they didn't believe it, when I, it's important that I go away because if I go away, I will send my spirit and when my spirit comes, wait for it, you will do even greater things than I did. Now imagine hearing those words. You think, He's, that this is impossible. How could I do greater things than what Jesus has done? But even the apostles not only gave, Peter not only gave a sermon where 3,000 people became believers, but of course Peter, John, others, they began to actually heal people. That's what happened in John, Acts chapter 3. Now, when you get to Acts chapter 4, however, right, be, it's the first time where everything is going very, very good up and to the right, and all of a sudden there's persecution. All of a sudden there's opposition. This is the first time, it's not the first of many, where all of a sudden things get difficult. And what happens, why do things get difficult? We'll read this in just a second. Because the, when God comes in, when the power of God comes in, um, there's, there's, there's people who aren't happy about it. And you might say the people who aren't happy about it, the same people that arrested and, and didn't like what Jesus had to say, largely the religious establishment, well, they're all of a sudden showing up with the same kind of animosity, the same kind of desire. The powers that be were just as unhappy with the disciples as they were with Jesus, and they want to put this to a stop. And the disciples, why are they doing that? Because the disciples, we'll see in this passage, are not only coming in and teaching the people, Right? They're not only coming in and beginning to bring these new teachings, this whole thing about Jesus the Messiah, the whole thing about new life in Christ that seem to be going against, in some ways, in their minds, the, the teaching of the Old Testament, although Peter was trying to say, no, this is exactly the purpose of the promise being realized. But they were, they were very territorial. But not only were the disciples speaking to the people, they were doing it right in the no, under the noses of the leaders, right in the temple precincts. So it wasn't like they were off in some corner, off in some far off place in Galilee. They, oh, well, let those people do what they want. No, the apostles were right in the temple precincts, right in the temple courts, right where the Jews' seat of power was. They were beginning to speak about the new life and people in great numbers that were coming normally to come be a part of the Jewish worship system were coming to know Christ. And they said, we need to put this to a stop the first persecution of the early church. But what we see in this passage is that God uses persecution, God uses opposition, not just to advance his church, we'll see that, but to advance the people that follow Jesus, right? He's not only uses opposition to advance the church, but to advance you and to advance me. Let's read these passages in, in a message titled Spending Time You'll see this in a minute where I'm going with this, with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus. Acts chapter 4, we pick up where we left off. 
Follow along as I read these verses, Acts 4, 1 through 13. The priests and the captain of the temple guard, the people who had jurisdiction over the temple where all this was happening, and the Sadducees came to Peter and John, the apostles, while they were speaking to the people, right in the middle of a sermon, maybe on the temple steps. They came to Peter and John and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were sharing the gospel. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men, I think this means men and women, people who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas. Important names, we'll get back to them in a second. John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. In other words, the who's who in Jerusalem, right? The who's who. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power and what name do you do this? Where is your authority to do what you're doing? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, Shown to a man who was lame. They had just healed a man in Acts chapter 3. We looked at it last Sunday. Who was lame. And are being asked how he was healed. If you want to know where the power came from. Then know this. You and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Whom you crucified. But whom God raised from the dead. That this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, quoting from their Bible, Psalm 118, the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw This is the rulers, all these important people. The courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men. It's a nice way of saying, you know, they wouldn't go to the right schools. They weren't sophisticated. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Okay? They had been with Jesus. So a couple things I want to pull out of this passage is we are, have been for these weeks talking about the dynamics of the spiritual life. This isn't just a history lesson. We're not here just to learn a little history. The, the book of Acts is history, but we're here to learn what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus today? What does it mean to have the spirit of God in your life? What does it mean to be transformed, right? What does it mean? Do we want to be a community that is transformed? Are we supposed to live our lives the way they live? Yes, we are. So what can we learn from this passage? Well, the first thing I learned from this passage, all right, although it's a passage where, where things get difficult, if the, whole, if the whole book of Acts was just the first three chapters, you say, well, this is easy. God, this is a piece of cake. I mean, people just coming to Christ, it's, this, is a, this is a party. Well, now comes persecution and more is coming. But the church doesn't, in persecution, get smaller. It actually gets bigger. 
God is at work, right? Spending time with Jesus. But what happens here is this. I want us to see in this passage. It's, it's counterintuitive. Pe- the, spend, people are hungry to spend time with Jesus. Okay, my first point. People now you might say, well, Rob, you're, you're not making sense here because what you're saying is all of these important people, we had their names. It's almost like the who's who in Jerusalem. They say, we have got to put a stop to this. We heard your sermon about the resurrection. We're not interested. But they're not really the story here because although it says they put them in jail, The very next verse says, they put them in jail. But oh, by the way, those who heard the message, right, they believed. And in one one sermon here, it went from 3,000 to 5,000. See, there's a contrast being painted here in Acts chapter 4. I think it's one that's in our own world is today. On one side of this contrast are the powerful people. And there's always somebody in power. Every culture, including our own. And the powerful people, for various reasons, we name some of them, they're jealous, there's, there's, some, there's some territorialism, they don't really want to lose their authority, they don't want to lose their power, they don't want to lose their influence, I'm talking about the religious leaders here. They, they're, they're, they're challenged by this, because the apostles are preaching, and the people that used to follow these leaders, they're now going over to the church. They're now coming in thousands. And when you see 5,000 people, that's still a big number. If I gave a sermon, and listen, 500 people came to Christ in a day. I, I, it would be unbelievable. I'd blow, blow me away. And this is in a call. Listen, the population was a lot smaller then. I'm sure the city of Jerusalem back then was less than a million people in the entire city. And 5,000 people right there in the heart of the seat of, of, of power become Christians. This is This is amazing. So I want, us, I want you to see the contrast. On one side are these um, very powerful people, the people that make all the decisions in this environment. On the other side, it's ma- they're making a point here. Unschooled and ordinary men. People that, that were fishermen from Galilee. They had no business here, but God was in it. And even though you might say, they might, say, they might have said themselves the day before, maybe you and I say this, well, listen, we shouldn't preach the gospel. There's so much going. No, the, the, everyone's against us, the world. The train's left the station, Rob. People aren't interested in the gospel anymore. I'd say that's not true at all, right? Just because the power people aren't interested, God is doing something else. People with power are not the people that are the part of this story. It's the unschooled and ordinary apostles that are connected to the explosive growth. And all these leaders can do is throw them in jail. And just for no reason. Why are they putting, even Peter says this almost comically. So listen, if you threw us in jail because of this act of kindness to this, then just be, I want you to know that we're not the people. Jesus did this, not us. But why would you throw someone in jail for helping out somebody who was handicapped? That's all they did. Because that wasn't really why they were thrown in jail. They were thrown in jail because they were threatened by what the apostles were doing. But what we know from this passage and from the rest of this book of Acts and what we know from the history of the church is that God very often works around the power structures. Right? right under the nose of the power structure, God says, listen, that's not going to be a limitation to me. 
I'm going to accomplish my purposes. I will use whoever I need to use, even unschooled and ordinary men. See if you can stop me. And they throw them in jail and 2,000 people join the church overnight. We talk a lot about, back to my point, people are hungry to spend time with Jesus. You might go, I'm not so sure if the people on my street are hungry to, to meet Jesus. I'm not so sure if the people in my office are hungry to meet Jesus. I would say that they are. We talk a lot in our day about the difference between the first century and our own. Well, Rob, that's the way it was back then. Okay? But I would suggest to you that the reason that people do not come to faith, the reason that people would have objections to the gospel, are no different in that day than in ours. A lot of differences between the first century and the 21st. But let me tell you what's not different. Why would Jewish people, many of the people in this story are Jewish, in fact all the people in this story are Jewish for the most part, Jewish, the first Christians were Jewish, for a Jewish person to believe that God could become a man was anathema. They were appalled at this idea. They believed the Messiah was coming. Moses said, listen, a prophet like me back in the Old Testament in the Pentateuch, God's going to send another prophet. And for thousands of years, they were waiting for God to send another Moses. Well, Moses wasn't God. Moses was a prophet. That's what they thought the Messiah was. So God did send the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah. Peter's putting these pieces together. But in this case, the Messiah just wasn't a prophet like Moses. He was the Son of God. He was God the Son. And Jewish people thought there was no business. God could never in, in mess, make, connect himself with messy, sinful humanity. They thought this was awful. It was blasphemy to think that a human being could also be God. So Jewish people were not at all welcome to the message. That's why they rejected. But listen, the rest of the culture didn't either. The first cult century culture, read the book of Acts carefully, they were, the word is pluralistic. And you think, what is pluralistic? Some of you know what that word means. It just means people, had, no one believed in, an all, in one sovereign God who, 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 who had jurisdiction over all people, one single creator. They believed in multiple gods, multiple um, idols. There was a God for this town and that town. This, the, the, the paganism, we would call it, in, in, the, in the early, in the early um, first century, they be, the people believed in various gods, but no one believed in an all-powerful single God. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one. No one believed in that. So in the first century, the Jews would have nothing to do with a God-man, and most of the other people were a lot like the people in our day. You know, what's good for you is good for you. What's, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. But don't tell me there's one God who is over all people, all nations, everybody, all of the world is under one God. They wouldn't believe it. But nevertheless, even though it was not at all likely for people to believe the gospel, it was, the gospel was given with such great conviction. And listen, thousands of people came to know Christ. I was just in Peru with our team. I mentioned this um, uh, two weeks ago in, in, in the great city of Lima. And while we were there, we had um, we were there talking about this is just this this was the Sunday morning that I was there church in Lima, so this is a picture from Sunday morning, and but the, the but I don't have a picture from Thursday or Friday or from Saturday night. In Saturday night, same room, there was a talk about um, sexuality in the twenty first century, very hot topic, and it's and on a Saturday night at. 8 o'clock, there was a talk on sexuality in the 21st century. The place was packed. 
and we finally, because after that talk it wasn't translated, there was a Q&A. It was full of young people that went on past 10 o'clock. You say, well, people don't care about that anymore. Yes, they do. The power structures don't want to uh, think that people don't care about the things of God. The power structures, people in power, think the culture says people aren't interested. But I would suggest to you that they are. Several months ago, in the spring, many of you know this, at least in America. I don't know if, Ghana, if this reached you, but there was a revival going on in, in, in Christian colleges. Remember the whole Asbury revival? This seems like a long time ago. Well, that revival, if you want to uh, talk about it, has now migrated to other places. Auburn University, non-Christian college. This was just September 12th. They had a gathering at Auburn University. It was called Unite Auburn. It was just kind of a gathering of, of, of Christian-minded people. A couple organizations put this on. The InterVarsity did it. And they had 5,000 people show up from the campus. They give a, and they have some people give a speeches, talk about the body of Christ. After someone wasn't planned, said, we'd like to get baptized. And they started talking to the people that were running. They said, well, there's nowhere to baptize them. So they went out to this pond not far from uh, the, the, the center in Auburn. And this night, September 12th, 200 people got baptized. The football coach got in the water and baptized some of the people on the football team. What am I saying? If you read the, 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 the mainline newspapers, if, if, if you read mainline news, you're going to say people aren't interested in the things of God. I would say it's very different. People are hungry to hear the message of Jesus. People are hungry to know the truth about God's love and God's grace. The question is, are we willing to see past it and open our mouths, okay? Spending time with Jesus. People are hungry to spend time with Jesus. Second thing this passage tells us. Spending time with Jesus, this is really the core of this passage, leads to a new identity. That's what's really going on with these people. When they saw the courage of John and Peter, they realized they were unschooled and ordinary men. Why were they, why were they so um, astonished? It doesn't say they were angry. Now, they were angry too, right? They threw them in jail. But the real thing that they, beyond being angry, they said, we're astonished. Why are we astonished? Because we're looking at these people who are just fishermen from Galilee but somehow there's a conviction in their heart. There's a power in their words. And we're blown away by what we're seeing. We're professionals. We're here every single Saturday sharing the word of God in temple. We've never seen this kind of response. But these guys come speaking about Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 3, verse 2. And thousands of people respond. But you know what's interesting about this? I mentioned the names. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers, they met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. Why are those names mentioned? I'll tell you why they're mentioned. They're the exact same people who were at the trial of Jesus Christ, which had just happened, okay, a couple months before. And these same people, imagine, this is once in, a, in, in the history of humanity, their people, these same leaders, were at the trial of Jesus when they peppered Jesus with questions and Jesus didn't answer a word, right? Why didn't he answer a word? Because Jesus wasn't there to defend himself. He could have judged them, but he said, I didn't come to judge the world first, I came to be judged. 
He opened not his mouth and he gave his life for the world. And they said, listen, the kind of courage, the kind of power that we saw in Jesus, that's what we see in these men. They were astonished and they took note and said, what we saw in Jesus Christ just 60 days ago, 70 days ago, 100 days ago, whatever it was, we see it in these men standing before us right now. Okay? It's an, I, the, the, the courage and conviction that they saw in Jesus, they see three times the word, they ask the question, what name or what power, in what name and what power do you do the things that you do? They're, they become synonymous. And they say, listen, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. They could use the name of Jesus, however, because they knew what his name expressed. They knew the name of Jesus, okay, not in a formula, but in the sense of they, they were in intimate relationship with Jesus. They knew that it expressed his authority. And because they were connected to Jesus, here, listen carefully, his authority became their authority. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. God's authority, all authority has been given unto me, Jesus said in the Great Commission, I'm giving it to you, right? I'm giving it to you. And in my word's gonna come out of your mouth, and when my word comes out of your mouth, when you begin to act more like me because you spend time with me, you're gonna see God do amazing things in your life. That's what happened. They understood what it meant to have Jesus. Their authority, his authority became their authority. This incident, John X chapter four, provides an opportunity for the disciples to affirm, I really want you to do this morning, me to do, their loyalty in Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12. This is the famous verse from this passage. Salvation is found in no one else. For there was no other name given under heaven to the human race, to mankind, by which we must be saved. Now, this is a great evangelism verse. Sometimes this is used, you know, pastors will, will say this and trying to lead people to Jesus. But this is not, in, the, in Acts chapter four, this is not an evangelism verse. Although it may be used for that. What this is, it's a confession of faith. It's a confession of identity, right? Think about who's saying these words, by the way. The apostle Peter. I want you to think about the two Peters in a manner of speaking, if you know your, the, the Bible well. The guy who, at the end of the Gospels, when push came to shove, Peter was still a Christian, of course, but all of a sudden they find him and they say, oh, you're one of his followers. As Jesus was on trial. This is, your, your, your speech betrays you. We know you're a Galilean. You're one, Peter says, I don't even know who you're talking about. I've never met the man. Three times Peter denies he even knew Jesus. Now, was Peter a Christian? Then, of course he was. But what I would say the difference between Peter number one and Peter number two is the power of Jesus Christ. He had a shift in his core of his identity. That's what changed. He said, listen, I want you to know there is no other name given under heaven among men by which you must be saved. Jesus Christ is not just my savior. He's the Lord of my life. I've had a shift in my identity. How do you know you've had a shift in your identity? I'll tell you a couple things I see from these people. This is what astonished these leaders. Number one, they were no longer driven by fear. See? If the gospel of Jesus Christ really captures your imagination, if the gospel of Jesus Christ really captures your heart, if, if it deep, works deep down in the deepest part of who you are, that's what it means to spend time with Jesus, where it heal, not only forgives your sin, but it, it heals you from your, listen, it heals you from your shame. And it's your shame and my shame 
that drives my desire to create an identity in something outside of my faith in Jesus. Even as Christians, my identities in my career, my identities in my relationships, my identities in what other people think about me, right? But what you see the difference between Peter and the end of the Gospels and Peter here is Peter finally got it. And the gospel of Jesus Christ came into the deepest part of who he was. He began to understand not what it just it means to have Jesus as your savior, but what it means to have Jesus as your Lord, to come in and reset his identity. And he's saying in Acts 4.12, listen, this is my identity. There is no other name in ungiven, uh, under heaven given to men by where we must be saved. That's what's happened to me. And now I can stand in front of the very people that crucified Jesus. The very people. Do you think Peter didn't understand what was going to happen? Peter was at the trial of Jesus too. Peter, see where it, where it ended for Jesus. Peter, 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 Peter was smart enough to know this where it might end for me too. But now it doesn't matter anymore because I don't live for other people's approval. I don't need to be chasing around uh, trying to find ways to justify myself to uh, bring, make my accomplishments my identity. My identity is rooted now in Jesus Christ and I have the freedom not to live for other people's approval but to live for the approval of him. That's what Acts chapter 4 verse 12 is saying. There's a book that just came out um, maybe two months ago. Some of you heard of it, some of you haven't. It's called The Great Dechurching. And the great dechurching was put together by um, a couple uh, uh, thoughtful uh, scholars, Christian men in Chicago, another couple in, in Orlando. And it was this multi-year study, three-phase study of the church in America. So I don't know if, Ghani, if this is true in, in, in Kosovo. Church in America. And this is what they said. Some of you have heard this. In the last 25 years, they say between 25 and 40 million people have left, who were once sitting in seats like this are no longer in church. They're not, they're, they didn't lose their Christianity, so to speak. They didn't stop being Christians. But they no longer go to church. The great dechurching. And they did this survey, three-phase survey. That's what the book is, is the result of this survey. And they came up with five categories of people, why they left and who they are. In the first category, the largest category, that makes over 8 million people that have left the church in the last 23 years, have left the church, and these are people, they would call them from evangelical churches, if you know what that word means. In other words, churches like this one, I'm not talking about some dead church that doesn't even believe Jesus is the Son of God. They're looking at people who are leaving churches like this one. And the number one reason, there are five reasons in the book, are what they call cultural Christians. I don't know if that term means something to you. In other words, they're people that maybe grew up in the church, perhaps maybe even are Christians, but through various and sundry cultural issues, through the great uh, pandemic, they stopped going to church and they didn't need to come anymore. And they said, of these people, they asked them a series of questions. And they said, less than 1%, or let me back up. The main reason they said that they left the church is because in a manner of speaking, they found out these Christians don't believe their own message. Right? Because they ask some questions. Do they believe the message? And one of the questions they ask, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Okay, that's what Peter's affirming here. Of these 8 million people who grew up in churches like this one, less than 1% said they believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. 
only 22% of those 8 million people said that they believed with, with, with a degree of certainty that the Bible was the word of God. So what's the problem? There's nothing wrong with the message. I would, I would argue with you, with you today or encourage you to think that people are as hungry for the message of the gospel as Auburn University just showed us, as my friends in Peru showed us, as your neighbors would show you and my neighbors would show me if, we'd, if we talked to them about it. People are as hungry for the message as they ever, maybe more than ever in the world that we live in. But maybe one of the reasons people aren't coming to church is because many of the people in the church don't believe the message anymore. Right? The message isn't just something that to do on Sunday. The message isn't just some, something you wear like a coat. It has to become the core of your identity. That's what happened to Peter. And when a shift takes place in the heart of your hearts, you'll, be, you'll change. You'll begin to speak with a sense of conviction. You'll begin to speak with a sense of authority. And the people around you will be hungry to hear that message. Have you, maybe the question for this sermon, experienced this kind of shift in your identity? And lastly, let me say, one of the best indicators of whether or not you've experienced this or I've experienced this is how natural it is for you, how natural it is for me to actually speak to other people about Jesus, which is where this passage ends. If you spend time with Jesus, where this passage ends, you can't help but speak to others about him. Right? Look how this passage ends. Verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there in front of them, it was hard to, to, to know what to do with the disciples because they'd healed somebody. The man in chapter 3. This man who, has been, who was over 40 years old, he'd been in front of the temple as a, as a, as a handicapped man begging for money. They couldn't do anything. They, 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 it, was, it was incontrovertible. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, this important meeting, and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? That's right, what, what they did with Jesus too. They asked, everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign and we can't deny it. Hey? God has changed people's lives and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in and commanded them not to speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied. This just needs to be my reply and your reply. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and we have heard. This is a sign. You want to know, do I want to know if Jesus Christ has become the Lord of my life, if there's been a true shift in my identity? You say, well, Rob, can you be a Christian and not talk about Jesus? Of course you can. But if I want to be a, a, a fully devoted follower of Jesus, if I want to see Christ truly change my life, right, in the deepest areas of who I am, in the areas of guilt and shame, experiencing the power of God in my life, in how I live my life, and in how I talk about him, there needs to be a shift in your core identity. That's what Peter's has happened here. Peter's having, Peter's been given a second chance. And God gives all of us a second chance, third chance and a fourth chance to say, make me the Lord of your life. 
right? And watch me do amazing things through your life, right? Peter said, listen, at this stage, guys, uh, Sanhedrin, you can do what you want to do. But Christ has so impacted my life. Jesus has so penetrated the deepest part of who I am. He satisfied the deepest needs. My sin is forgiven. Listen, my guilt, even a guy who denied Jesus three times, just months before, he said, he has so satisfied the guilt and the sh- freed me from the shame that I can't help but talk about him to other people. So do what you want with me. Three times, by the way, I mentioned this, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. Then verse eight says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not saying Peter became a Christian. And not only was he filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two, not only was he filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter uh, uh, four, verse eight. Next week, you'll see, we get to this final sermon, he's filled again. See, it's a way of life. And almost every time you see a filling of the Spirit in the book of Acts, you know what it's connected to? Talking about the gospel. See, we, we, we connect it to other things. The, the, the power of the Holy Spirit is given to us, yes, to help make, realize and actualize the gospel promises in our lives, the forgiveness of sin, the freedom of guilt, the, the, the satisfying of shame in Christ's sacrifice for us, but it's given so that we might open our mouths to the people around us. And they say, what gives? I'm astonished at what I see going on in your life. How is it possible that you don't respond to criticism? How is it possible that you love in people that are unlovable? How is it possible that you have this kind of Christ-like character, that you live the way that you do? What has happened to you? And they say, listen, I've spent time with Jesus. And I can't help but talk to you about it, okay? That's what we see. This is the dynamics of the spiritual life at work. Number one, people are hungry to see, spend time with Jesus. I hope you believe that. The people in your life, the people in my life. Spending time with Jesus for you and me leads to a new identity. And ultimately, if you spend time with Jesus, you're gonna have a hard time not talking about other people. So, closing this message. Spending time with Jesus. What does it take? It's not, Peter, Peter lived for some time and he wasn't spending, in a manner of speaking, the quality time with Jesus. Something changed for him, it can change for you. Three things just to think about, kind of applications to this message. How do I, how do you spend time with Jesus? Number one, be present in corporate worship. Right? While the trend is going that people are leaving the church, maybe people that don't believe their message, we need to have a, a reversal of that. Acts chapter two, we looked at this two weeks ago. It says the church was in awe. Why were they in awe? Because they were all together in in, in loving one another, in serving one another. Listen, you can meet God in your living room, but you meet him here in corporate worship in a way you can't meet him in your living room, okay? We need to buck the trend and we need to be in corporate worship. Number, Number two, you need to have a serious relationship with God's word, okay? You need to have a serious relationship. The number one reason these eight million people left the church, they didn't even believe their own message. Acts 2.42 says, speaking of their church, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They didn't just, you know, read it a little here and a little. 
they were devoted. Open my mind that I might seek wonderful things out of your law. Do you do that? Do I? That's how your life will change. That's how you spend time with Jesus. And lastly, this is next week's sermon, the last one in this opening uh, part one, is you need to ask more from God. Right? You need to have a bold prayer life. We need to stop asking God for small things and ask him, number one, that he would do something powerful in your own life. You need to pray that I might know the love of Christ, its breadth, its depth, its width, and that Jesus Christ might be magnified in my life, in my inner being. You need to know what it means to pray about your own spiritual life with Jesus. And we need to begin asking God to do great things in the lives of other people and in the world that we live in. Amen? All right, let's pray. God and Father, I thank you for this time this morning. We love you and we need you. And Lord, I just pray for us as a church as we gather here this morning and worship you and serve you, Lord. I I pray for everyone in this room, everyone listening to me. Lord, help us to take some time to think about our lives. Help us to take some time to evaluate our own hearts, to be able to reflect on whether or not Jesus Christ is at the core of our being, whether or not there has been a shift or a growing shift in our core identity as men and women, students, young and old, whether or not Jesus is not just my Savior, but that he is the living Lord of my life. Help us, Lord, to um, be committed in whatever ways we need to be committed. Um, more open, more, more um, intentional about spending more time of our lives every day with the living Lord Jesus that we might be filled with your Holy Spirit, that we might be um, alive in Christ in new ways, and that we, Lord, might, wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we hang out, we might be able to say we cannot help but speak about what we have experienced in Christ and what we have heard and known from his word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.